Romans chapter 11, verse 33, I love this verse. The Bible says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. These past 18 months have been some of the best months of my life. Because on numerous occasions, I've had the opportunity to go to the deep riches of God. You know what this verse says, the deep riches of God are? It's that he knows what's going on even when we don't. And a year ago, March, when COVID became a thing, I had to go to the deep riches of God and say, God, I don't know what's going on here, but sure, I'm glad you do. And then a year ago, November, we had, this November, we had the election. And I went to the deep riches of God and I said, God, I don't know what just happened, but you do. And you're still in control. And I had missionary after missionary call me from countries that were locked down much harder than we are here in the States. Some of them not having church services for months. One missionary called and said, Brother Bushy, the police come to my house every Sunday and walk through my house to make sure that I don't have any church members here. And I had to go to the deep riches of God and say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I sure am glad that you do. I don't know how the world makes it. I don't understand how people can get through life without God. And many of them don't. Many of them turn to the bottle and they turn to drugs and sometimes to suicide because they don't have that answer. And I don't have the answer, but I have a God that does. And that's deep riches for us, amen? There's a lot of security in that. Uh, those of you that are just starting college and you're kind of walking around thinking, what in the world is going on? I don't know. And you don't have to know. You just have to know that God knows. And that's the deep riches of God. And what a blessing that is. Then he says this in verse 34. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? These are two rhetorical questions in the Bible. They both have the same answer. No one. Nobody tells God what to do. God doesn't have to go seek counsel. God doesn't ask anybody, hey, can you help me out here? Because he's already got it. By the way, if you want a God that you can understand, you're, going to be, you're doomed to disappointment. If you want a God that you can give advice to, you are in for a shock. I've heard people say, boy, when I see God, I'll tell him. Th no, you won't. You'll be flat on your face, begging for mercy. Because you realize the almighty power of almighty God, and you'll say, I don't know anything. Just seeing God will humble you. A whole lot better just go ahead and do it yourself right now, amen? God says, when you go ahead and humble yourself now, then I can lift you up. But boy, you, you push against me, I'll squish you like a bug. In love, amen? <laughs> Don't get proud. Don't get proud. Verse 35, another rhetorical question. The Bible says in verse 35, Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. Nobody has ever gone to God and said, God, here, I'm going to take care of you, and then you can give it back to me later. Nobody's ever done that. God does that to us. God gives us, to us, everything we have, and then says, you, you're welcome to give some of it back to me. Living in Thailand, in a country that is 97% Buddhist, Almost every house in the entire country that I saw had out in the front lawn or somewhere around the property had a smaller house on a pedestal. 
They were usually about uh, maybe two foot by two foot. If they were wealthy people, they were bigger, but they were called spirit houses. And they would put those spirit houses out in front of their house, and they would go out every morning, and they would put sacrifices on those spirit houses in order to appease the evil spirits. Hopefully, if they put some fresh fruit and some flowers there and some red Fanta. I don't know why, but it was always red Fanta. Something spiritual about red Fanta, apparently. Uh, they put that red fant on there, and they, that the thinking was, if I can make this little spirit house pleasant enough, the evil spirits will stay here. And uh, I asked one of the Thai men one day, I said, can I drink that red fanta? Oh, no, 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 no. That's holy ground. I asked another Thai person one day, I said, what, why, why are you doing this? And they said, well, we're, we're, we're trying to appease God by giving these things to him, giving him food and giving him drink and giving him flowers. And, and I said, I want to ask you a question. Who made those flowers? God made those flowers. You're just giving him something that he gave you first. Who made that water? I don't know if God's responsible for Red Fanta, but who made the water? Who made the food? God made that food, and they were trying to appease God by giving back to God something that he had given to them. We had a young lady that came and worked for us in the early days. Her name was Entire. Her name was Gradai which in English is rabbit. That was her name. We called her rabbit. And uh, rabbit started going out soul winning. At first, she wasn't saved. We paid her as a translator while we were learning Thai. And she was paired up one day with Miss Sherry House, and they were out soul winning in the city of Nawong. And they went past uh, Wat Nawong, which is the big Buddhist temple there in the center of town. And they were, uh, they were walking through the temple grounds. You can do that. They're wide open to the public. And they were walking through the temple grounds. And, and, uh, and Miss Sherry looked over, and there were rows and rows of little cages with birds in them. And Miss Sherry said to Rabbit, what, what are the purpose of those little cages with the birds in them? And uh, Rabbit said, well, uh, you can buy those cages, and you can take them out in a field, and you can release the bird... And that's a good deed. That's how you earn merit in the Buddhist religion. And Miss Sherry said, well, how do the birds get in the cages? And she said, well, the priests do that for us. And Miss Sherry said, does that mean the priests are losing merit? And that confused Rabbit so much. That question was the reason that she got saved. Because she just saw how illogical it all was. You know, you and I can't give anything to God that he hasn't given to us first. We're not doing God any favors by anything that we do. We're just, we're just doing what we should do because he's been so good to us. That's what that question is saying there. Think about how good God has been. Think about how much God loves you. Think about the fact that everything you have is because you have a good God. I was teaching in Sunday school this morning. I did not choose to be born in America. I'm glad that I was born in America, but I can't take any credit for it. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so overjoyed that I was raised in a Christian home with godly parents that took me to church and read the Bible to me, and I'm blessed that way, but I didn't choose that. That's God's goodness to me. God chose that and blessed me in that way. I, the fact that I've had preacher after preacher after preacher in my life that have taught me the word of God and, and uh, preach hard when I needed it, that, that's God being good to me. The fact that I have the health to stand here tonight, clothes to wear and food to eat and a house to go home to, God's good. And when I think about the fact that here we are in this messed up world, 
I've got a God that knows everything that's going on. He doesn't need my advice. He doesn't need my help to figure it out. He's doing just fine without me. In fact, while, while he's taking care of the whole world, he's taking really good care of me. And then I get to verse 36. And the Bible says in verse 36, For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. This whole world is about God. It was made by God. It's made for God. God keeps it all working. God's the one that keeps the planets in the right place out in space. God's the one that keeps the earth spinning at just the right speed to keep the balance between gravity and centrifugal force so that we don't get flung off into space or squished like a bug. God does all that, keeps all that running. Why? Because he wants to. Because he's a good God. And we forget about him, don't we? We get so busy in this little life of ours and the little petty things that we have to do every day that we forget about God. Sometimes we can go a whole day without talking to him one time. And I think God's got now 7.8 billion people on this planet, and I suspect he's lonely. Because most of them haven't taken time to walk with him today and talk to him today. And that's what it's all about. This life that we have here, it's just a premise. It's just the preface to a very long book called Eternity. This isn't even the real thing. This is the practice before the real game. We're only here for 60, 70, 80 years, maybe a little bit longer if you're strong. And this is just a test run to see, number one, if you're going to get saved, and number two, if you're going to do anything for God after you get saved. This is all God. And when I, when I read those four verses, and I, it kind of helps me to center my mind again, that, uh, that this is what's really important here. Boy, th this world will grab your attention, won't it? I was thinking about uh, Brother Fritz down here, and I believe I shook his hand on Wednesday night. It may have been last Sunday night, but I came down and shook his hand. And I was thinking about him. Do you know, right now, he's, he's not thinking all, at all about his next paycheck. Not thinking at all about the next family vacation. So, so many things that wrap up our minds and consume us while we're here, the moment we step into heaven aren't going to matter anymore. And the truth is, you and I ought to live realizing how temporal this is and, and putting the emphasis on the next life, which is the important one, where we're going to see God. Are you a short-term Christian or are you a long-term Christian? Are you living for this side of the grave or are you living for the next side of the grave? I think that we need to ask ourselves that. And we need to ask ourselves that on a regular basis. And because of that, I beg you, my brethren. No, let me rephrase that. Therefore, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present yourselves a living sacrifice. The word present there is, is, is kind of a ceremony. It's a formal act. It's something that's done on purpose. God, I am about to do something for you that is difficult for me. I'm about to read my Bible, God. And I live in a world where my cell phone is trying to get my attention all the time. Where my laptop is trying to get my attention all the time. 
where the television screen is trying to get my attention all the time, where the stock ticker is trying to get my attention all the time, where the bills are trying to get my attention all the time, where the ball game's trying to get my attention all the time. And God, on purpose, I'm going to lay all of that aside for a little while, and I'm going to immerse myself in your book. It's a sacrifice, because our flesh doesn't like it. But we should do that as a living sacrifice. God, I'm going to pray. My flesh doesn't like praying. My mind gets distracted so quickly and so easily that sometimes I have to go in a closet just to be able to focus on you. And I'm ashamed of that, but I'm just flesh. God, while I'm talking to you, so many different distractions come into my mind that I've got to do this on purpose. I was telling my Sunday school class this morning. By the way, if you don't have a Sunday school class, second floor chapel, AOB, 945 redemption class, love to have you there. I was talking this morning about a visit that I made down to see Brother Steve Frost, Shawnee Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I went down there and preached a missions conference for him, and at the end of the missions conference, had the opportunity to go to Dr. Tom Williams' house, but Dr. Williams is a member of the church there, and uh, lives just across the river on the Indiana side, and so after the Sunday night service, after the conference was all over, uh, we went over to their house, uh, the Frost and myself and one of the missionary families, and went over and had some ice cream there, and and uh, Dr. Williams said, hey guys, you want to see my office? And so he took us all upstairs. It was a three-story house. He said, I did that on purpose. It's how I stay fit, up and down those stairs all day, every day. And uh, took us up to the top floor of the house, and his office is up there. And we stood in the office and, and chatted and reminisced for a bit. And then he said, men, would you, uh, would you like to see my prayer closet? And I said, man, do I want to see that. And he took us over in the corner of the office, and in the corner of his office is a little door and uh, because it's upstairs, when you open the door, it's, it's an entrance into the attic there. And he opened that door, and, and all four of us piled into that little space in there. It's not finished, just plywood on the floor, and, and uh, the, the, the roof rafters right over your head, and, and uh, not finished at all, just one metal folding chair sitting right there in the center, and prayer cards on every space of the wall, all the way around all four sides. In fact, he's got so many prayer cards, he started putting them on poster boards. And so he prays through all the ones on the walls, and then he starts flipping through the poster boards that have more prayer cards. And we were standing in that room, and, and God was there. And uh, he said, men, do you mind if I pray? And I said, would you pray, Dr. Williams? And he began to pray. And I learned something standing there in Dr. Tom Williams' prayer closet. I found out that he prays just like us. He just talks to God. No fancy language, nothing spooky going on, no candles lit, just, just talk to God. And I realize the difference between Dr. Tom Williams and most of us is not how he prays, it's that he prays. Because it's hard to pray. It's a living sacrifice. You know, soul winning is a living sacrifice. Our flesh doesn't like soul winning. I, I'm, I'm still waiting for that day where I wake up on a Saturday morning and the weather is perfect and I don't have a headache and the lawn is already cut and all of my family is excited about going and I can't wait to go knock on that first door. I'm still waiting for that day to come. 
I had a friend in New Zealand one day. He said, you know, I believe that if we were supposed to go soul winning, that I would want to go soul winning. He's in heaven now. I don't think he ever went soul winning one time. Because soul winning in the flesh don't get along. I want to just throw this out here. Brother, Brother Abdel Judah and I have talked about this a little bit, and this is not part of the sermon. I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. There's a lot of folks in this room used to knock on doors. Can you imagine if everybody in this room knocked on 10 doors this month? Could you do 10 doors? I figure there's 2,500, maybe 3,000 people there. Can you imagine if our church knocked on 30,000 doors in the month of September? I don't think there's any, not, not many people. I mean, if Brother Randy Rogers can go knock on doors, most of us could knock on doors. Could you knock on 10 doors this month? I don't know if I'm going to start a, a hashtag, 10 doors. I think it'd be neat if we all just got back out there on the streets again. We'd have so many people say, we've had these baptistries filled every Sunday. But I'm going to warn you, you won't want to. You set a day to do it, and I'll promise the devil will throw everything he can in your way. Because your flesh won't like it. And if you do it, you'll be a living sacrifice. Giving money is a sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. Take money out of your wallet and say, you know what, I'm going to forego that pizza or that five buck, I mean Starbucks, and I'm going, to, I'm going to give that to the missions instead or put that in the building fund instead. That's a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy what a convicting word. Who do you know that's holy? When you hear the word holy, who do you think of? I asked one of my girls this afternoon, what name comes to mind when you hear the word holy? And she gave me three names right away. One was Wayne Schaefer, so she doesn't know what she's talking about. But I said, who do you think of that's holy? I thought, do I think of myself as Holy. Do other people think that I'm holy? Does God think that I'm holy? It's so easy to get satisfied with just getting by. It's so easy to be, well, I'm a good Christian because I go to church and I have a Bible and, and I put money in the offering plate and I, I do something around the church house, so I, but are we holy? Are we separated from the world? Are we sanctified people? Do we have that change in our lives that's obvious even to the unsaved? When we go to work, does the guy that has the locker next door, does he say, uh, this person's holy? Whether an insult or jest or sincerity, does anybody call you holy? Because the Bible says here, God's been good to me. God's taken good care of me. Even when I'm confused and lost and don't know what's happening, God always knows what's going on. And this whole, everything that happens here, it's all about Him. This is His world, and I'm, I belong to Him, and, and, and I, ought to, I ought to give Him my life as a living sacrifice, and I ought to be holy while I'm doing it. I ought to be acceptable unto God. I fear there's a kind of Christianity around today where, where we're looking for a Christianity that's acceptable to us. 
I want my kind of music and I want my kind of service and I want my kind of preaching and that's not what God asked for. He asked us to give what's acceptable to him. I ought to sing the music that he wants to hear and live the life that he wants to see and please him with my life. Acceptable unto God. In the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi says to the people of Israel, you're you're bringing sacrifices to church, but you're bringing blind sheep, lame sheep. You're bringing animals that you would not give to your own governor. You think God's going to accept that? Just because you're going through the motions? I want to make sure that God's accepting of what I offer. And then the Bible says this, and I love this phrase. It says, which is your reasonable service. Most of us, all of us, we're headed toward hell. I'll never see it. I'll never spend one second in that lake of fire. I'll never burn for one millisecond. Because Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life for 33 years. And then let a bunch of Roman soldiers who were trained to murder beat on him for six hours and hung on a cross and died for me. Can I not live for him? Can I not put away my movies for a while and live for him? Can I not put away my social media for a while and spend some time with him? Can I not step out of my comfort zone and Go invite somebody to church or hand out a gospel track for him? Can I not teach a Sunday school class for him? Can I not be an usher or a choir member or a nursery worker and be faithful for him? Isn't it reasonable? It's only a few years. Man, when we get to heaven, it's all fun from there. First thing we do is eat. Amen? I mean, that's just good. (laughs) If I'm going to win a soul, I've got to hurry up and do it here. If I'm going to serve the Lord, I better hurry up and do it here. Doesn't it make sense that we do what we can while we can while we're here? It's reasonable service. And then the last verse tonight, it says in verse 2, And be not conformed to this world. You and I live in a world that is constantly pushing at you, trying to make you, like them. It's a never-ending pressure on you all the time. I decided to give you a sermon illustration tonight. I'm going to ask Brother Eddie and Brother Ricky to help me. You guys mind coming up here a little bit? We're going to have fun here. Brother Ricky's going to be a Christian. And Brother Eddie's going to be the world. We have excellent casting tonight. Brother Ricky's Christianity is going to be as strong as this tinfoil. Also good casting. All right. Brother Eddie, would you hold the top two edges of that? Just hold it up right over your face. Right, right again. Right, right there. Not, yeah, there you go. All right, now, Brother, Brother, Brother Ricky, you come over here and just start lightly pushing that up against his face there. There you go. Do you notice what Brother Ricky's Christianity looks like now? It looks like the world. Because tinfoil gets conformed. It forms with. 
That's what the Bible means when it says, be not conformed, be not shaped like, be not pressured into. Uh, And the lesson here is that if your Christianity is weak, you end up looking like Brother Eddie. No, I'm just kidding. Not really. Thank you, Brother Eddie. You know, the world's trying to make you look like them all the time. The world's trying to get you to talk like them all the time. The world's trying to get you to live like them all the time. You know, James chapter 4, verse 4 uses some very strong language. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You know, when you become friends with the unsaved world around you, that you just got an enemy called Jehovah God, do you want him for an enemy? And that pressure is there all the time. It's pushing on you all the time. Working on you through, your, through, through the music that you listen to. Trying to change your appear, uh, appearance. Trying to change your entertainment. Working on you through Facebook and YouTube and movies and billboards and peer pressure and others' opinions and social media. It's working on you all the time. Trying to change you to make you more like them. When I was young late 60s, early 70s. We use words for homosexuals that are now politically inappropriate. And they got beat up. But some wicked person put a TV show on television called Three's Company. Where a man that was not a homosexual pretended to be a homosexual and was the butt of every joke. That's how they started. Now it's hard to watch a show that doesn't have a homosexual somewhere there. The world glorifies that. And I'm afraid that if we pump our minds full of that all the time, it becomes normal to us. Can I say it hasn't become normal to God? And there may be a day where I stand behind a pulpit and, and I go to jail for saying what I'm going to say, but, uh, but homosexuals are perverts. They're sodomites. It's sin. God's against it. The Bible's very clear about that. But the world's pushing on you to accept it. It's still wrong. Rock music is wrong. Contemporary Christian music is just rock music. It's still wrong. But that pressure is always there. Come and be like us. Make your church a little more like the world so that the world will accept you. No, God says, when you become a friend with them, you became my enemy. God says, I need somebody to be holy and acceptable to me. That's what God's looking for. And so while the world is pushing on us, to conform and to become more like them. And by the way, it's constantly there. And we have to be on guard against it. The third qualification for a bishop in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is to be vigilant. Keep your eyes open. Then the Bible says in 1 Peter to every Christian, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary the devil, walking about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He's trying to destroy you, young people. He's trying to get into your home, dads. He's trying to come in through that screen in your living room, through the phone in your pocket, through the guy at work or the child at school that's talking to you, that so-called friend that's trying to take you away from God and draw you toward the world. And by the way, as they move, they'll try to make it sound spiritual. 
But they're just trying to wrap you around the world and make you look like the world. What's our defense? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is my sword. This is your sword. This is our weapon against our enemy. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. There's no book in the world like this book. You know what we ought to do? We ought to read it. Be a good idea to read it. In fact, I have a better idea. We ought to read it a lot. Read a lot of it. I remember when I was pastoring as a, as a young pastor, I had a man that got saved out of the drug culture, and he came to church, and, and uh, he, was, he was still pretty rough around the edges and figuring things out. But uh, he came back one Sunday night, and I said, Ricky, what would you do this afternoon? He said, oh, pastor. He said, pasta. From New Zealand, pasta mark. He said, I read the whole book of Mark this afternoon. I thought, my goodness. I don't know if I've ever read the whole book of Mark in one day. But I wonder what that would do to me. What would it be like if we read an entire gospel in one sitting? What would it be like if we just said, you know what? I'm going to read the whole New Testament this month. I mean, I'm just going to turn some devices off and put my phone down and just read the Bible. Let God talk to me. We were having family devotions the other night, just sitting in the living room together, and I was reading a chapter in Genesis, and I got done, and my 12-year-old Alyssa, she said, Daddy, it's so soothing when you read the Bible. I mean, it just brings peace, doesn't it? And it changes us. I had a man get very angry with me one day. I was preaching, and he was sitting in the back of the service, and I could see the, see the red kind of moving up as I preached, and it got higher and higher. And uh, by the end of the service, there was steam coming out of his ears, and he came up to me, and he said, You, you, you're brainwashing these people. And I said, Thank you, because we have dirty brains. And man, do they need to get washed, amen? <laughs> by the washing of the water of the word. We need to fill our lives with this book right here. That's our protection from letting the world change us to become like then. And that's reasonable service. That's what we ought to do. Would you look back with me again at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God.